0: There are actually other uses for this. It's a cup holder. (laughs) Um, Betsy and I want to thank you. I want to start with that Uh, for your care for us, our family. It has been amazing, it's been a testimony to others. Uh, I think most of you know that uh, Betsy is in the middle of her first round of chemo and radiation. And uh, she is managing well, my warrior woman, having a good day today. Uh, What you may not know is that we got COVID during Thanksgiving week, and uh, that was a challenge. But uh, a week ago yesterday, a week ago yesterday, Betsy passed out, and on her way down, hit her head on the shelf, lots of blood. And uh, the way she was bent, I was afraid that I couldn't get her up without breaking a bone or bruising her badly. And and uh, um, I called 911. And uh, I called our daughter Beth because I had COVID and they wouldn't let me in the hospital. So she drove down from Knoxville. <coughs> and I'm skipping over a lot of details, but after <coughs> after the EMTs checked Betsy out, the, the cut, the Checked her vitals. They even gave her an EKG there. Um, Checked some sugar levels. Uh, We decided that it would be better that she'd be better off at home than in an ER waiting room. Who knew? (laughs) So Lisa was that. Uh, The reason I'm telling you that is is that uh, honestly, uh, Betsy handled the whole thing better than I did. Uh, I was frantic. I uh, if someone had started singing this is the day that the lord has made or he called me and said hey gary james 1 it all joy i think i would have wanted to let the air out of their tires in christian love um, i uh, i was standing next to her when she fell and i could not do a thing and i didn't realize what was happening and uh, I, I, I have never really thought in all of my life. Um, I can't protect her. That has never occurred to me. I mean, it just hadn't. I mean, you know, you understand what I'm saying. Uh, have, you, have you? I know. I know intellectually that that was true. I knew it intellectually. I just didn't know it, really, and. Uh, I guess I had delusions of adequacy, right? So, uh, have you ever had the Lord remind you of something like, Gary, you never were adequate. Uh, You have never been in control. And it makes sense that Scripture at times, um, in Scripture, God gives his people, time to regroup, to uh, remember, to be still as our minds are transformed before he, before he engages us with teachable moments. He did that with Elijah. He did it with Jeremiah. He did it uh, with, uh, even with Jonah. So if you ever thought about that, this is not unlike the same pattern for salvation. We have delusions of adequacy. We think we're enough. We think our good works are enough, and that God is rather pleased with us, Um, and that maybe I'm not perfect, but I sure am better than a whole lot of those folks over there, and surely God grades on the curve. But then we're confronted with the gospel that we are never enough. But Jesus is. And in fact, that is the very reason why Jesus came, because we are never enough. We could never be enough. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. We're not enough, but his grace is sufficient for us and is more than enough. By the way, this morning, from time to time when the sunrise is particularly beautiful, Betsy and I will walk out onto the front porch and just look at it, sometimes slow dance. But we just, you know, and it was just gorgeous this morning. And uh, we were looking at that beautiful sunrise, acknowledging the majesty of creation, and Betsy says... This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'll take that. For this Advent season, we're going to be looking at how God addresses our inadequacy. We're going to be looking at the Christmas story in Luke chapters 1 and 2 just simply to enjoy those familiar truths that we need to be reminded of. And on this first Sunday of Advent, we're going to be examining Mary's choice, which is, I have to admit, it's one of my favorite parts of the whole story. I love to study this and talk about it. Uh, and, and so if you will turn with me to Luke chapter 1, the verses that Nick just read. <clears throat> and the background to Mary's choice, I'm going to give the big picture of this because the background of Mary's choice is the entire Old Testament. This story is a pivotal part of the Bible. And here's why. Here's the great meta narrative of the Bible. And we've talked about this before creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Creation, God creates all things out of nothing, and it's very good. Fall, where Adam sinned as the representative of the human race, and sin at that point became our default, so that suffering became our norm. So creation, fall, redemption. What the first Adam did not do in the Garden of Eden, Jesus, who's called the last Adam, resolved to do in the Garden of Gethsemane. He who knew no sin, that is, without the default nature of sin of the first Adam, because of the virgin birth, he who knew no sin became sin for us. Because on the cross, Jesus incarnated the sin of all of us. He drank that cup so that we might drink the cup of blessing and remember him in the Lord's Supper. So creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. We've been singing about restoration this morning. In the future, when we all get to heaven, uh, what a day of rejoicing that will be. One of our best-known Christmas carols, Joy to the World, is actually about the second coming of Jesus primarily. So we long for restoration because this world is filled with pandemics, with with COVID, with suffering, with cancer, with despair. And this is not the world that God made for us to inhabit. It's glorious in many ways. It has beautiful sunrises, but it's still broken. Romans 8.22 tells us the whole creation groans and suffers. We're awaiting that final restoration. One day, all things will be made right again. The very last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22, says that faith will become sight, and there will be no more curse, and Jesus will wipe away every tear from our eyes. So creation, fall, redemption, and restoration, and that's the 50,000 feet view. But we're now in that redemption phase, that part of the story. And Mary's choice is the very beginning of the redemption story. Because the story is that God showed up. The word advent from the Latin word for arrival, God showed up. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And this is good news. This is gospel good news. And we're to share this good news with those around us. We are saved and redeemed. We're rescued, all those things by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins. That is good news, my friends. And through him we have forgiveness. So Mary's choice gives us the first glimpse of this section of redemption, the ongoing pattern of redemption. Faith is center stage in Mary's choice. First comes faith when we believe God's word, and then we submit to it. And that's That's what we see in today's passage. We believe God's word and we submit to it. That's what Mary did. After that comes the rest of Mary's life where we live by faith and we live through joyful, wonderful experiences, but we also live through unexpected, hard, painful experiences. In faith, we submit all of our plans to God's perfect plan. That was what Mary did. We live out our, on, our, our, our choice to follow Jesus in the struggles of life in this world awaiting restoration. So, Luke chapter 1. <clears throat> and this chapter, by the way, contains two examples of how different believers react when God's plan changes their plan. You know, we all have plans. We all have expectations. I imagine every single one of us has a list of things that we expect to be a part of our future, especially when we're young, you know, we've got this list of things that we think we're going to accomplish, um, and, <coughs> and, and we are no different from those who have gone before, no different from the people in Luke chapter 1, because there are two dramatic examples here of how these different believers react when God changes their plans. And these are good people, by the way. They love the Lord. They're not out of fellowship. They're not in rebellion. They're not nominal. And I'm speaking primarily of the the two primary people here are Zechariah and Mary. Zechariah, the husband of Elizabeth, and Mary, the fiance of Joseph. And Luke, this Greek doctor, tells the story of all people to write the story of two miraculous conceptions. The first story features a miraculous natural conception where God activated an old barren womb. For Zechariah and Elizabeth, God changed their plans. God certainly changed their expectations of what the rest of their lives were going to be like. Can you imagine two old people raising wild man prophet John the Baptist or as we called him in seminary, Jack the Dipper. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to move on. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> After some nudging, because Zechariah didn't quite believe what the angel was telling him, he said, how will I know this? And he was actually questioning its truth. Mary was questioning the, the mechanism of how it was going to happen. He was questioning the truth. The angel said, this is what's going to happen because you did not believe me. And what happened was Zechariah, who was standing before the Lord in the temple, performing this, the temple service, was to come out and to give the blessing of Numbers chapter 6 upon the people. The Lord bless you and keep you. That. Benediction, and we're going to close our service with the benediction that Zechariah was unable to give because he was mute until John was born. So, six months after Gabriel appeared to um, Zechariah, he appeared to Mary, a young girl who was the cousin, young cousin of his wife, and Mary probably. Was, between, was around 13 or 14 years old, which was the normal age of betrothal in those days for girls. He appeared to Mary, and this story features a miraculous supernatural conception. God, not a human father, implanted the seed that was untainted by sin nature that passes through the earthly father Genesis 3.15 calls it the seed of the woman. God implanted that in Mary. And before we ever hear from Mary, we know that she had plans. For a typical young Jewish girl, she was going to marry Joseph, She's going to have lots of kids, going to have friendships with other women in Nazareth and be respected in the community where she was going to build her life and enjoy a long life surrounded by children and grandchildren. That was what she would have hoped for. That would have been the normal expectation for her future. But then Gabriel showed up. And let's read through this, starting at verse 26. I want to make some observations as I go. Verse 26 says, Now in the sixth month, that means the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy with John. And remember, Zechariah and Elizabeth had told no one about this. She uh, she, She was keeping herself separate from everyone. She was quarantining herself. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. Now, she knows this is not a human being. She knows this is some manifestation of a messenger from God. There, and, and what her response was is there's, there's no drama here. She was very perplexed at this statement. And notice it was not his appearance, it was the statement that he made. Your favored one, the Lord is with you. She kept pondering what kind of salutation. This was, his words just didn't compute in her life. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And the word favor is the same word for grace. You found grace with God. It's Nothing you've earned. Every reason for you to be surprised that I'm here, because as far as you're concerned, you're probably thinking there's nothing special about you, but you have received God's grace. So he continues, behold, You will conceive in your womb and bear a son. The wording here is different from the story earlier of Zechariah and Elizabeth, where the angel tells Zechariah that Elizabeth will bear you a son to parents. Instead, you will conceive in your womb. Is what he tells Mary. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Yahweh saves. Yeshua, Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. Now, there are three terms that are used here. And I'm just going to flip back to 2 Samuel chapter 7 and let you know what's going on in the background of this promise. In 2 Samuel 7, David has this wonderful palace, and he says, I've got this great house, but the Lord dwells, as it were, in this tabernacle, this tent. I want to build a greater house for him. He is the one who needs uh, to, to have his greatness on display through this magnificent house that I will build. And the Lord actually doesn't rebuke him for that. It's one of those things where God says to his child, that is very sweet of you. <laughs> I appreciate the thought. I appreciate the, the willingness and the desire. You have too much blood on your hands. You're not going to build it, but your son will, and I'll be with you in this. And here's what I'm going to do, because you wanted to build a house for me. Are you the one who should build a house for me to dwell in? This is what he says. The Lord declares that I will make a house out of you. When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendants after you who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish a throne of his kingdom forever. Pointing down the centuries, the millennia, through to eternity. In verse 16, your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and all this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. Your house, your kingdom, your throne. Back in Luke chapter 1. What does he promise? The throne of his father David reign over the house of Jacob, and his kingdom will have no end. This is the fulfillment of the messianic promise. And Mary knows this. She is in awe, and yet it will be a human being. You know, do you have any idea how terrifying all of this would be for a young girl at that moment? You are the link to the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises about the Messiah. And and yet at the same time, she knows enough to know this is not the way the Jews were expecting this to happen. Shouldn't the king come as a king? Instead, his birth is going to be very different from their expectations. Do You remember when the wise men came. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? Exactly. So... as you look at this you have to wonder where is Mary's mind going? All of her plans. All of her plans. What does this do to change those plans? Think about this. And we've used this kind of an illustration before but do you hold your plans like this or like this? Because Mary had to open that hand and say, Lord, here are my plans. I submit them to your eternal plan. I submit myself to the future that you have ordained for me. I mean, at this point, marriage to Joseph, that's not going to happen because he knows he's not the father. Marriage to anyone? Probably never. Other children? None. Because no marriage, no children. In fact, would she even be allowed to live? That's kind of unsure uh, as far as she knew at that time because after the baby was born she could be stoned as an adulteress. Life of comfort being cared for by a husband? That's not happening. Life of respect from others in her town? That's gone. Jewish culture did not look kindly on single mothers and if a young woman claimed that she was impregnated by god that's blasphemy there is no record that god gave her any comfort about any future promises the only promise he gave is with god all things are possible look at <clears throat> excuse me uh, look at verse 34 How can this be? Since I am a virgin. The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. That's the how. God is going to do this. Because God can do anything. For that reason, that is because God is going to do this, For that reason, the virgin conception, the holy child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. This would be news to Mary. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. As I said, there's no record that God gave her any promise about anything in the future except this promise with God, all things are possible. She didn't know that God was going to appear to Joseph some three months later. But rather than focusing on future problems, she made a choice to trust in God who was bigger than her problems. She submitted her plans to God's perfect plan. So here are her plans. And the Lord took them and changed them and made them of eternal significance. God was bigger than her problems. Nothing is impossible with God. And I just want to pause here and say, especially you young people, you do not have any idea how God might use you. Nothing is impossible with him. And I, I just think about this young teenage girl wondering what her future might be. I was a teacher for many years. Uh, and as a college uh, teacher, I observed students going through the college. I think you'll understand the way I mean this. Some of them were stars. I mean, their talent was just off the charts. You know, you you could envision them achieving amazing things if they followed the trajectory of the way that they began. They were so gifted. But what I noticed over the decades is not the ones who were stars, but the ones who were plotters that just kept on steady, steady, following the Lord, and they're the ones that I notice more than anything else that have had the eternal impact for Jesus. It's been an amazing thing to see. God can do anything with you. You never know how he might use you. Now, <clears throat> my plans for my life, I had, I've had delusions of adequacy. But God's perfect plan, is that nothing is impossible for him. Mary's statement in verse 38, Behold the bondslave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. I believe that that's one of the most astonishing speeches in all the Bible. And it's worth examining uh, pretty closely. I, I just think this is this is so important. It was a, a watershed moment for Mary. You know what I mean by the watershed? It means that the molecule of water, it, when it comes to that dividing point at the Continental Divide, it can either go one way and end up in the Atlantic Ocean or the other way and end up in the Pacific Ocean. At that particular moment, a decision is made, metaphorically, a turning point in your life, which may seem like a small choice now, but it can have huge consequences that are a continent apart. We see this over and over again in Scripture. And since we're talking about young people, remember Daniel? Daniel was taken captive as a teenage boy by the Babylonians, and he decided two things. Number one, he was going to become the very best student that they had at Babylon U because they put him through an educational process in which he was also confronted with a An alternative origins story called the Gilgamesh epic from the Babylonians. So, he determined that he was going to be a student uh, that uh, uh, a, a, a stellar student in that setting. And the second thing he determined was he made a commitment never to do anything that compromised his faith. Never to do anything that compromised his faith. And God used that young man, mightily. Because with God, nothing is impossible. For you young people, your your defining moment may be ahead of you, probably is. Uh, unlike Mary, you probably won't recognize what it is at the time. Uh, it may be when you d- decide to stand up for someone who's easily mocked, or when you are at a party and you are committed to sexual purity. And when you make that stand, you get mocked for that or ridiculed for it. Or it may be when someone at school asks you, what's the answer to number four? And you say no. There are just an infinite number of ways that that could play out. But these can become huge moments, and each one builds on the next one. For me, my watershed moment, although I did not know it at the time, came at the end of my junior year in college um, as a philosophy student in a very liberal university surrounded by unbelieving friends and struggling with my faith. And my issue was, is this really true? Is this really true? And I hate bumper sticker answers. So uh, my decision was, was, I need to find out is this really true? Why do I believe what I believe? And I did not know at the time that that decision would change the trajectory of my life away from one career that I was planning to go to seminary and uh, to dip my toe in the deep intellectual history of our faith and then to become a college professor and then, in a stunning shift for me, become a pastor. The one thing I knew I would never be Not my plan. Not my plan. But the Lord kind of pried these things open one by one. He used wedges of different kinds of things to nudge me in a direction, not like Mary, more like Zechariah, nudge me in a direction that I was reluctant to follow. But I look back, you know, I I can look back on decisions and it seems to me that everything... Looking in the rearview mirror has been orchestrated beautifully by God, who knew exactly what he was doing when he changed my plans. But Gary, what if I've had my watershed moment and I made a really bad choice? (coughs) The good news is that God forgives. He redeems. He restores. Look at the apostle Peter, the denier. Of Jesus. Look at the Apostle Paul, the first century terrorist of the, against the uh, Christian church. It's called redemption. But the exemplar of all of these watershed moments is Luke chapter 1, verse 38, when a teenager opened her hand, holding her, hand, her plans tightly, opened that hand and said, Behold the bondslave of the Lord, be it done to me according to your word. I know my voice is a little rough today, uh, but um, I I want to make two grammatical observations. I love love doing that. So hang in there with me. (coughs) Two parts to verse 38. First, I want you to notice the term that she uses to describe herself. She doesn't say, behold, behold, the betrothed of Joseph. Behold, the cousin of Elizabeth, after he told her about Elizabeth. She doesn't say, behold, the daughter of Heli, from one of the genealogies. No, the way she sees herself now is different. The word bond slave is is a right-on-target translation, or it could be slave woman. The idea behind it is Someone who chooses to sell herself into servitude for what they believe to be a greater purpose. And the focus here is she's submitting her plan to God's perfect plan. She now sees herself as being owned by God. He owns me. But it's a wonderful relationship. I can be in his hand. He can change my plans to do whatever he wants to. By the way, this is a preview of how we are to, see our, to, to view ourselves. Forty-five years later, 45 years after this, the Apostle Paul, who always called himself the bond slave of Jesus Christ, same term, will write to a church filled with pagans who have been redeemed. And remind them, you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Why? Right, because it's God's. You don't own yourself. He owns you. So that's the first observation. The term that she uses, behold, the bond slave of the Lord. The second observation is the phrase she uses to submit herself. May it be done to me according to your word. And I'm going to make a statement it's going to rock your world. I've been waiting all weeks, all week to say this. You ready? Here it is. May it be done is an optative aorist of Genomai, and the form occurs 17 times in the Greek New Testament. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay. Does my little Greek heart good to say that. <clears throat> Here's why it's significant. 17 times in the New Testament this occurs. 16 out of the 17, it's negative. May it not be. May it never be. 10 of the 17 are in the book of Romans. Shall we sin all the more that grace might increase? May it never be. What a ghastly thought. No, 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 no. Right? May it never be. 16 out of the 17 times, negative. There's only one time in the New Testament that it occurs without the negative, and it's right here. May it be. What a glorious thought. Yes, yes. And soon, Mary will talk about how her soul exalts the Lord. Her future will now contain moments that are just soaring with joy and moments of agonizing sorrow. She's saying, I'm willing to become everyone's bullseye for the sake of God's perfect plan. Here are my plans, Lord. Be it done to me according to your word. What do you do when God's plan for your life is different from your plan, your hopes, your dreams? When he changes them, when he steps in and says, my child, here are your plans, and here's my perfect plan. And at times, they align, but mostly they don't. And I'm asking that you trust that my plan for you is not only for my glory, it's for your eternal good, Because nothing is impossible with God. I am working all things together for good. Will you trust me? So in faith, we submit our plans to God's perfect plan. Whether it might be, I mean, it could be a number of things. It could be the ravages of a disease. It could be financial hardship. On the other hand, it could be a financial windfall. It could be the loss of a job or the gaining of uh, a, a, an amazing promotion, or it could be the change in career. could be problems in your marriage that you didn't anticipate, but that God is going to use as you work through them to help other couples. It could, it could be a, a child that rises to national prominence uh, in a wonderful way that you didn't expect, like John the Baptist, or with consequences that you'd never want for your child, like John the Baptist. God breaks in, crosses some things off my list, adds others to it that I hadn't thought of. Some of the things that have happened in our lives have been just just give us unbelievable joy and fulfillment. Other things have given me the deepest pain I've ever known. But as I said earlier, in God's rearview mirror, I can see God's hand in all of it. So... How do you respond when God has a different plan than yours? Do you trust him? Is your hand open? We have to put off any delusions of adequacy in ourselves and put on the truth that nothing is impossible with God. Our prayer is to be, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord. Be it done to me according to your word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this example. And we ask, Lord, that as we live lives of faith and trust, that we would walk with you deeply and rejoice in the ways in which you work through the circumstances of our life to bring you glory and to bring about our eternal good. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Our benediction is the blessing from Numbers 6 that Zechariah was unable to utter. Would you stand with me? It's back there. You know what? I'd like for you all to say it with me. Would you just turn around? I I know you're, you're probably thinking over the years, wow, Lewis and Gary are really good to know all those scriptures. Here's the secret. It's up there. Let's read it together. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you peace. God bless you and Merry Christmas.